Let's just, just pray together as we come. We're starting a new series today. We're in Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. But Father, we just again, we just want to pray, Lord, as we come to your word, Lord God, this book that is full of just the gospel of grace, Lord, we give you the honor, we give you the glory, Lord God, for, for your word. And, and Father, we pray it would speak into our lives, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Do you want, can you get the, the first screen up on, on the thing, just the, just the backdrop there? It'd be wonderful. And, uh, you know, for, I guess, the first 18 years of, of my life, I, I lived on a farm. And on a farm, there is always something to do, is there not? My parents modeled what it was to put, a, I suppose, to work really hard. And, and, and even though as a teenager, I wasn't always happy about it. I followed their example, and I, I learned what it was to, to put a full day's work in on the farm. At weekends, I would milk the cows, get up at 6.30 in the morning, didn't enjoy it at all, I can assure you, um, and then maybe milk again at 4.30 p.m. I spent my school holidays on the farm. I also, I also worked fairly hard at school as well, into university, and then that work ethic sort of carried on into my adult life, into work, into business. In fact, even when it comes to training for something like a marathon or ultra-marathon, I push myself hard, and I actually find it difficult to stop some days. Of course, hard work can be greatly rewarding, and it's certainly true to say that if you don't put something in, well, you really can't expect to get anything out. But I also need to add a word of caution here, because that mindset is not always healthy. And you can get so driven that you actually don't take time to rest or even to enjoy life. And you can feel that everything is your responsibility, that you need to earn it. Also, you feel that you just need to be always doing something more. And actually, you can struggle to receive anything from anybody else. Of course, this way of thinking can be hard to break, and, and it can affect every relationship, in fact, including your relationship with God. And so often it can lead us to feel as if we need to earn love, including God's love. And that we need to do something to actually make us deserve what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And listen, if you struggle with thoughts like that, you're probably not alone, but it's still wrong. And those thoughts, those feelings contradict the teaching of Scripture because God's love is unconditional and that your salvation is free. And you're going to hear that a lot, I hope, during this book of Galatians. See, to Paul, salvation was entirely a thing of grace. Now, I think it's fair to say that Paul was probably a very driven man, yet he believed that no man, no woman could ever earn favor with God, and that all that a person could do was to accept the love of God in one tremendous act of faith, to fling himself hopelessly and defensively on the love of God. It's an old hymn goes something like this, puts it beautifully. It says, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy lost commands. Can my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, 
Look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And for Paul, the essential thing was not what man could do for God, but what God had done for man. But so often we get it completely the wrong way around. In fact, this is exactly the type of misunderstanding that, and confusion that the apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church of Galatia to correct. Now, Galatians was written probably about 15 to 20 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's written to a group of Christians in the churches in an area in part of modern-day Turkey. Now, there's discussion among the biblical scholars as to whether Paul wrote it to the churches in the country of Galatia or in the province of Galatia. And although not everybody agrees, most theologians think that Paul was writing to the southern part in the province of Galatia, to the churches that he founded on his first missionary journey, Antioch, Iconic, Lystra, Derby. But what is certain is that within these churches, there are false teachers who are going around, they're telling the Gentile Christians in Galatia that believing in Jesus Christ is not enough that they had to do something extra, something more. They had, if, if they had to follow all these Jewish laws and practices as well in order to keep God happy. So Paul writes this strong letter of rebuke. And he's pretty direct in it, as we'll come to find out later on. He's telling them not to accept any other gospel other than the one that had been preached by him to them. Because any other gospel is no gospel at all. The truth is that to many people, this free, this unconditional grace, this love of God, it just seems too good to be true. Maybe that may even be some of us within this room today. And you want to do something to earn God's love. But listen, grace cannot be earned it can only be received. See, there's no set of rules or regulation that you need to obey. There's no amount of biblical knowledge. There's nothing, there's no amount of helping the poor or any other spiritual hoop that you need to jump through. There is nothing that you can do to earn salvation or make God love you any more than he already does or any less. Yet even with all of that said, there's sometimes something deep inside many of us that says, I need to try. And of course, many people listen to that lie because most of us are programmed, me included, into believing that nothing is for free. After all, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We're told that many times. Anything that's worthwhile has to be earned. And of course, if it seems too good to be true, well, it's too good to be true, is it not? This world teaches us to be skeptical, to distrust. Let me give you an example. About three years ago in Manchester, a social experiment was carried out. And what they did, they offered 25 pounds, five pound notes pinned to a board, and Anybody who had any need could take one of them. Have a little watch and see what happens. Five crisp five-pound notes abandoned in the middle of Manchester city centre. At first, most people walk past the sign in bemusement. Some even stop to take a photo, but other reactions are heartwarming. 
This woman reads the sign and takes the money, but immediately hands it to a man who'd been begging in the streets. Just to explain that he sat on the floor since this morning, he's only got a few pence in his car. He didn't want to take it himself. 15 pounds left, but wait. This man has actually pinned five pounds of his own money to the sign. But it's not all good news. These men read the sign, then quite happily help themselves. One woman tries to intervene. Their reaction? They simply laugh. Now, there's, there's certainly some very heartwarming stories there, is there not? And, and, uh, and perhaps not so heartwarming stories there as well, as you see in that clip. But listen, if you were watching that, the large majority of people in that clip just walked on by. Most people didn't stop. Most people certainly weren't going to touch the money. Why? Because I want to suggest to you that we are conditioned to believe that nothing's for free. Money has to be earned. There's got to be a catch. If people are giving it away, there's a catch there, and we back off. And this begins at primary school. It carries on into adulthood. And we're taught that if you want to get ahead, well, you need to perform. You need to work hard. After all, no pain, no gain. And listen, this is the problem when we get to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is so countercultural, it is so challenging that it leads people either to soften it or to add to it, which is why so many people are often reluctant to freely accept God's free gift of salvation. And listen, the big idea of the book of Galatians is that freedom comes through Jesus Christ. There's freedom found in Christ. We've heard the testimonies of it already, but true freedom only comes through Jesus. God's love is unconditional. Salvation is a free gift from God that can only be received by faith and responded to with love. But even today, there are many Christian groups who are sending out a message to new believers, sometimes intentionally, sometimes completely unintentionally, that goes something like this. What wonderful news it is that you have become a Christian, but now that you are, here are a set of rules that you must start to obey to keep God, in fact, and more importantly, to keep us happy. But look at me for a moment. Jesus Christ died to set you free. So that you must not listen to anything or anyone else who wants to lead you from grace into the bondage of sin, of law, sorry, into the bondage of law. And my hope and my prayers as we, as we spend time in this book, that each and every one of us will know what it is to find true freedom through Jesus Christ as we read, as we spend time in the book of Galatians. So let's start. That's the introduction, by the way. So let's start. Verse 1. Galatians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent from men, sorry, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the church in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who give himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, someone has described the book of Galatians as a sword flashing in a great swordsman's hand because, I guess, of the way in which Paul defends the gospel and the grace of God. And I think it's a pretty good description. Paul, after all, was a fairly formidable swordsman. He knows the word of God so well. So right from, right from the very first verse, Paul explains that he is qualified to give the Galatians advice and to help them. In fact, he lets them know that his authority comes from the Lord. And there are th he basically describes three sources within this first five verses of his authority, where his authority comes from. The first thing is this, his authority comes from his ministry. Verse 1 and 2, he says, Paul, an apostle. Now, the word apostle means one who is sent with a commission. And, and Paul, is, Paul is careful to point out that his apostleship was not from human selection, but by divine appointment by Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus was on earth, he chose 12 disciples. I haven't got enough fingers for that, sorry. Um, 11 of whom became apostles and the, and the first leaders of the church. But Paul was neither a disciple during Jesus' earthly ministry, nor was he an apostle in that sense. However, he had seen the risen Jesus in a dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus. And you read about it in Acts chapter 9, if you haven't read it before, or at least not for a while. Wonderful story of Paul's conversion. Do have a look at it later on. But in verse 1 in Galatians 1, Paul is making the point that it was Jesus who had commissioned, who had called, who had appointed him as a church planter, leader, and apostle. But his miraculous conversion and his call to apostleship was not without his problems or his critics. At the very beginning, he was actually apart from the other apostles, and because of this, his enemies were very quick to try and say that he wasn't a true apostle at all. It's no wonder that Paul is taking great care here to explain that he had been commissioned by Jesus Christ just as much as the others have. And his call, come, his call didn't come from human selection or approval, but by divine appointment. It was because of this that he had the authority to speak into and to deal with the situation that's going on here in, in the church in Galatia. Listen, as you step out in obedience for God... You need to know that it is God who has called you. Listen, God has given each and every one of us a job to do. But you need to know for certain that the task that you are doing is the one that God has given you to do. And you will not be able to persevere through suffering, through challenges within ministry, if you are not certain that God has called you. And God's call is more than just a feeling. Now, it's true to say that God certainly puts desires within our hearts for certain areas of ministry, but listen, desire is not enough. So whether you're called as a missionary or church planter, elder, church leader, church wor children's worker, youth worker, we could go on, of course, with a long list. It needs to be more than just feelings. It needs to be confirmed by the Word of God. Listen, God's Word... It's through God's word that we know God's call. As God speaks into your life, as you receive from him, you need to know as you step out in ministry that it's God's word that has called you, as God's spoken directly and is point and, and, and directing you into your area of ministry. But the thing that goes alongside that is that we also need to know the prophetic words of God as well. 
As a church, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit for today, and we believe in, 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 in the gift of, of, of prophecy. So listen, as you step out into ministry, not only do you need to know God's Word, from God's Word, from the Scriptures, we also need to know that God is speaking, and that God will often use people, prophetic people, to speak into your life. Be willing to receive. Wed up with Scripture, absolutely, but be willing to receive as God speaks. The third thing you need to know is that you need to be inspired by the gospel. Listen, if the gospel is not central in your ministry and in your life, if Christ is not central in all that you're doing, listen, you will not be able to function properly as God called, has called you to do. And then fourthly is this, you need, need to be affirmed and confirmed by the church. Listen, we are sent people. Yes, sent ultimately from God, but actually we also, as a church, should be sending others. As people have stepped out, people have, as we've planted over into crew, as you know, people have gone from here, they've been sent, and they've gone to minister for God in that part of Cheshire. But the bottom line is this, we need to know that God has spoken. Because when, when the tough times come, and listen, the tough times will almost certainly come. You need to know beyond any shadow of doubt that if this is where God has called you to serve. But Paul also gives a second basis for his ministry to speak with authority because he founded and he planted the church in Galatia. So he was actually a serial church planter and missionary. So after he planted the church, he would raise up new leaders who would leave, who would, and, and then he would leave the area and he would start over again. He'd plant another church again, but he would continue to help the new congregation through his letters. And of course, this book to Galatians, to the Galatians, is one of Paul's letters. So Paul is not writing as a stranger but as one who brought the message of the gospel from the very beginning. Now, later on in the book of Galatians, we will, we, we will see and Paul will reveal his affection for these believers in chapter 4, verse 12 to 19, but, which unfortunately is not returned to him. But for now, he is very careful to let them know that he's not speaking by his own words, but by the word that comes from God. And we see Paul's loving concern for these converts, his deep desire to see these churches that he's planted glorify God, to remain true to God's word. And Paul is certainly not content to see the men and women who have found Jesus abandon their faith. So when Paul heard that there were false teachers going around who were trying to um, bring in this false teaching and lead his converts astray by mixing this Old Testament law and these rules and regulations with with the gospel of grace, he's simply not going to ignore it. After all, teaching new Christians to live for Jesus is as much a part of what Jesus has called you to do as it is to win them to Jesus in the first place. See, we're told in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew that we are to make disciples, not just converts. The authors of the book, Introduction to Global Mission, write, she says, the goal of Christian mission is not decisions, but disciples who abide in an intimate relationship with Jesus, who grow progressively in his likeness, and who learn to obey everything he commanded. And Paul knew that what he had been called to do. For Paul, it was this ministry as an apostle, and more specifically as a church founder, that give him the authority to deal with the problems within this church. 
The second source of Paul's authority was his message. Verse 3 and 4. In these first five verses, right from the very beginning, Paul offers an outline of the gospel. In fact, as soon as you begin to read Galatians, you will immediately notice that something is wrong. You see, Paul usually opens his letters with praise to God and encouragement and prayer for the saints, but not this time. He is filled with an urgency to get to the point there is no time to lose. Paul is about to engage in a battle for the truth of the gospel, for the liberty of the Christian life, and he is not going to stand back and do nothing. This message is under attack, and Paul was out to defend the truth of the gospel. Listen, there's an urgency here. There is an importance here. And I wonder, do we, do we have that same level of urgency, that same level of importance that Paul had? Listen, we, we, we need to. We ought to be so passionate for the gospel, we defend it no matter what. Because the good news of the gospel is the most amazing news that you will ever hear. But the gospel is primarily all about Jesus. It's the good news that sinners can be forgiven, that they can go to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 just summarizes this quite beautifully. For I receive what I pass on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Listen, there is no greater message than the hope of salvation. And this message had changed Paul's life. It's changed many other people's lives, including many within this room. And later on in Galatians, Paul will go on to explain in detail what the gospel is and how it works but from the very beginning of this letter, Paul wants you to grasp the wonder, the beauty, and just the simplicity of the gospel. But let's not miss out on perhaps the most obvious fact about the historical setting of this letter that we can so, so easily overlook. Paul is explaining the gospel to an audience who already call themselves Christians. See, the gospel is not just for non-Christians. Now, it is for non-Christians, of course, but it's not just for non-Christians. It is for everyone. See, no matter what stage you are in your Christian journey, you need to apply the gospel message to every part of your life. You must never think that you can move beyond the gospel to more advanced doctrines. Now, listen, as you grow in your faith, you need to mature in your understanding of Scripture, of doctrine, of theology, but you must never leave the gospel behind. Instead, every day you need to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to your life to allow it to change you. Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians do. In fact, let me go further. Listen, if you are having a problem with your Christian walk, I would suggest in virtually every case, if not every case, it is linked to either a loss, to a misunderstanding, or to a forgetting of the gospel. Listen, you can only mature and progress in your faith as you grasp and apply the gospel in deeper and deeper ways into your life. This is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, it is a, and it's marked by grace and by peace. You notice in verse 3, that's exactly what Paul says to these Christians. He says, grace and peace to you 
from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this is the work of God, the work of Jesus, as he applies, as he gifts the gospel into our lives. And there are two ideas that lie behind this word grace, one we use quite a lot. But the first idea is just an idea of just sheer beauty. If the Christian life has God's grace in it, it must be a beautiful thing. The great theologian Bono from U2, you may know him, pictured grace in one of his songs by the same name as a beautiful, as a vibrant, attractive woman. He gives a wonderful description of grace as it comes to us from God. The song begins with these words, grace, she gives, she takes the blame, she carries the shame, removes the stains, it could be her name. He finishes with these. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. What a wonderful description of the beauty of God's grace in our lives. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. But there's a second aspect to grace, and it's the sheer, undeserved generosity. It is a gift which a person never deserved and could never earn, which is given in generous goodness and is birthed in the very heart of God. In fact, this word contains just all of the love of God. In essence, it's to pray over God's people, something like this. It's to pray, may the beauty of the wonder of the undeserved love of God be upon you. Why? So that it may make your life lovely too. A love that is just summed up in Jesus who gave himself to rescue you. It's the love of Christ. And this love of Christ is a love that just gave and suffered. The love of Christ is a love that conquered and achieved. The love of Christ is a perfect love because it's backed up by the infinite power which nothing can frustrate and which can rescue you from your bondage of sin. The sheer beauty of grace is just inseparable from the undeserved generosity of God freely given to all who will receive it. That is why Paul is so passionate for the gospel. That's why we should be too. And we give God the glory. We give him the honor. The third source of Paul's authority, Paul says, was his motive. Verse 5. You know, what motivates us is so important. Not everybody sees it, of course. It can be really well hidden. I wonder, do you ever stop to examine what is the motives for what you do? You see, even when it comes to Christian ministry, or I should say maybe particularly when it comes to Christian ministry, things aren't always honorable. I wonder how many Christians want leadership positions because they want to be seen or they want a little bit of power or authority. So the question is, what was it that motivated Paul? What was it got him out of bed in the morning to do what he did? Well, Paul's motives can be summed up by one sentence in verse 5. It's talking about God, God the Father, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. These false teachers 
were not ministering for the glory of Christ, but actually for their own glory. The false teachers were not wanting to winning, were not winning people for Jesus. Rather, they were stealing other men's converts, bragging about their statistics and actually just how big their churches were. But Paul's motive was pure and it was godly because he only wanted God to be glorified. That's all. That God would receive all the glory and all the honor. I was brought up with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Most of you probably have never heard of it before. But the first question of it is, what is the chief end of man? Or to put it slightly better English, at least more modern English, what is the main purpose of mankind? The answer is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Listen, that is the only motive that is truly right. It's the only thing that's truly right. Listen, we were created for God's glory. You were created to praise Him. You were created that He would get all the honor and all the glory. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy of it. However, you must not even begin to think for a moment that that somehow God needs to be glorified by you. His glory belongs to himself. Listen, nothing can be added to it. Nobody can add anything to it at all. Instead, it is for your good that he commands you to glorify God first, only by living in this godly way and giving him the glory that you can find true fulfillment within your life. But also, there is something of an authority that comes from God for the man or for the woman who glorifies God. And this authority is not from human effort, but from the very throne room of God, the very throne room of heaven itself. Listen, it is a divine authority that should motivate us, should motivate us in our ministry and in our message, just as it did for Paul. Because listen, when you truly understand that your authority is in Christ and in Christ alone, yet you will be able to stand against the battles of this life. You will be able to have confidence, greater confidence in the gospel. And listen, you will begin to see lives transformed all around you. Because God gets the glory. Listen, our motives, our motives are so important. So often we get it completely the other way around, do we not? We start with... We start with our ministry, our particular thing, but honestly, we need to start with our hearts. What's the motive? Yes, it's right to desire, to serve God, God-given desire within us. But what motivates us? That God, Lord, that you alone would get glory. You alone, Lord, would get all the glory. In our church, Lord Jesus, that you, Lord, would get the glory, we pray. And as we minister for you, Lord, as we, Lord, just as we preach the message, Father, that, Lord, we would speak with truth. Lord, may the gospel be applied. Lord, may your ministry, Lord, as you minister into our hearts, Lord, may we receive it from you. But, Father, that you do a deep work in our hearts, we pray. Let's just stand together as we, as we come to a close, if you're able to. I guess the challenge that comes from this, so often we want the authority. We think that we, we can just try a little bit harder. We can do something to, to earn this. But actually the whole 
truth of what God does in our life is a free gift. It's God's grace. God gives. He gives sometimes when we don't even deserve it. In fact, it's always when we don't deserve it. Because none of us deserve anything from him. So I want to pray over us now. I want to pray, Lord, that you would examine our hearts. Lord, may our motives be for your glory. Lord, may the message that we carry, the message that we proclaim, may it be the truth. Lord, may it be gospel-centered and Christ-centered. Lord, may we never take anyone away from grace and into legalism or into rules. Father, that we would, that our ministry, Lord God, would be for your glory and for your honor, we pray. So I pray with my friends here today. Just invite you, Holy Spirit, just you come and you just do a work in people's hearts. Lord, do a work in my heart. Father, just you even, Lord, in your presence, Lord, as you, Holy Spirit, you just reveal any areas, Lord, that need to be put right even now. Let's just take a moment, just a minute or two of quietness, just as you talk to God, just, just quietly. Is there something you just need to put right and be a motive that's come that Holy Spirit's just raised up and just not be revealed? Just pray for forgiveness. You repent of it. Just realign yourself back with, with God again. And Father, we would know your calling then. You know, God has called you to serve in so many different ways, perhaps, but actually, as God has spoken, and we pray, Father, just, Lord, for that just deep sense of calling over people's lives, Lord, to serve you, Lord, whether it be, Lord, within a position within freedom here, Lord, or, or just, a, Lord, within their, their workplace, or whatever area of ministry, Lord God, you've called us to do, Lord, and there are many different things, Lord, you've, you've, you're speaking to us about now. Father, that you would we'd hear from you, Lord, it'll just be reaffirmed within us. Lord, even those calls that have become faint or we've even pushed away, Father, we just receive them back, Lord. We want to walk in your will and your purpose over our lives. That you may get the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to encourage you as you as we uh, as we we finish things up here. But I, I want to encourage you as you go home. Some of this stuff is worth just just taking some time out in your day. I'm not sure what your week looks like, but if you grab even 15 minutes, half an hour, and just spend time with God and actually just examining, Lord, what Lord, what's my true motive? What's the true calling you've put in my life? And then walk in it in his strength. Just receive the power, receive everything you need. The Holy Spirit just gives what we need in each and every situation. Lord, just thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Father, we pray, Lord, as we get further into this book over the next few weeks of Galatians, Lord, that we would just be captivated by your grace. Lord, just provoked once again by your just unconditional love over each of our lives. And Lord, we say, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.